Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church, Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Welcome, VCDC. Hey, I'm so glad to get a chance to share with you via video recording. I'm so used to getting an applause when I come up to help break the nerves, so I had to fake it there for a little bit, but I'm sure Michael's kind of filled you in with what's been going on with me and my family uh, this week, and so we just want to be wise and, and, and rather be safe rather than sorry and putting any of you all at, at risk, and so we thank you for your prayers, and we're, we're, doing really, we're doing really well, and I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Hey, so if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been in a series called Chasing After the Wind. We've been looking at the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, and the word Ecclesiastes in English really means teacher or preacher. We're, we're, we're getting the wisdom from this Old Testament wise teacher just about life. And we don't know for sure if, who exactly the teacher is. A lot of people say it's probably King Solomon. If not, it might be a, a, a King Solomon kind of like figure. But either way, we're getting all this, this great wisdom about life and the meaning of life. And, and at the very beginning, just to recap, if you forget or if you haven't been here yet, um, he talks about right off the bat that life is meaningless, which is kind of an odd conclusion and surprising conclusion to come to. But what he really is saying is that, that life is hevel. It, and that's the actual word he uses. It means that life is like a vapor. It's there today and gone tomorrow. It's short. It's elusive. It's You can grab at it and think you have it in your hands and then realize it's it's gone before you, you know it. And so he says life is hevel. Life is meaningless. And then he leads us through this thought experiment where basically he takes one thing after the other after the other that he's studied, that he's researched, that he's tried to experience to see, well, is there life found in this thing? Is there life found in knowledge and and gaining wisdom and knowledge? Is there life found in uh, career and in work? Is there life found in pleasure and in wealth and acquiring things? And each one of those things, he says, he comes to the conclusion that Really, ultimately, they're all, they're all meaningless. They're all this vaporous hebel, this, this thing that just kind of slips through your fingers. And so we could think of it kind of, kind of in the classic way of thinking of life as climbing the ladder, right? Whether you're talking about climbing the corporate ladder or climbing uh, the experiences ladder or climbing the wealth ladder or climbing whatever ladder uh, that you want to think of that would kind of be a definition or idea of success or, or living a purposeful life. He says, he says it's kind of like that. And he says, uh, kind of like the classic quote by the Trappist monk, Thomas Merton. He says, this people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. I think the teacher in Ecclesiastes would completely agree with that. I think that seems to be aligning with the things that he's telling us that pursuing all these things uh, as ultimate things, making idols out of things like our careers, our possessions, our wealth, our knowledge, pleasure, that we're, that we're, when we're doing that, when we're trying to climb to the top of that ladder, we'll realize, we'll get to the top, we'll look over that wall and realize like, oh, is that it? Really, that's it? That's all there is? I thought it was going to be so much more. And so now... Now, fast forward to chapter four, where we're at this weekend. 
uh, he's going to shift a little bit. The teacher's going to kind of shift a little bit, not so much thinking about, uh, well, what wall have we put our ladder on, but more talking about how are we climbing the ladder, the process of climbing the ladder, and specifically, how are we climbing the ladder in reference to how we treat others and how we're doing life alongside others. So that's where we're going to pick it up. Chapter 4, starting off in verse 1, we're going to look at just the first six verses here to start, and then we'll go a little bit further on in the passage here in a bit. But we read this. It says this. Verse 1, again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who have already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who's never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw all the toil and all the achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Verse 5, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. You know, how many of you remember the famous Charles Dickens book, A Tale of Two Cities, right? right? I don't know why I'm raising my hand in an empty room right now. I'm going to assume that most of you know, at least know the story that I'm talking about. You might remember how it starts off. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, right? A famous, famous line. Well, the truth is that depends on who you are, whether it was the best of times or the worst of times. And, and we think about the tale of two cities. It's almost like if we could change that language and talk, talk about the tale of two ladders. In these verses, Ecclesiastes is talking about, well, it depends on what kind of person you are, or who you are, or what your status is in life. Are you want a person who has power? Or are you one of the people who is power? Less. If we look at what he's talking about here, he's basically talking about how there's, there's different ways we all climb the ladder. And some of us climb the ladder in a way where basically we climb over everyone that we can in life. Where we step over and step on everyone that we can in life to get to the top faster. If we go back to, to verse 1, it says this, Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declare that the dead who have already died are happier than the living who is still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen this evil that is done under the sun. What a sad, sad reality this teacher is observing and talking about, that there are some people who are climbing the ladder in a way where they are doing the stepping. And then there are other people who are getting stepped on. What a sad reality. It would be better for those people who are being oppressed, who are being stepped on, to just not even be alive. In fact, and then he goes on to say it would be even better if they had never been born. You know, we can think about this in a a holistic way and kind of looking at current events in our world and seeing we have groups of people who are maybe oppressed by other groups of people. I know you, you read in the news and you hear about everything going on in Afghanistan right now, how the Afghani women especially are concerned 
and fearful about how they, how they might be treated in the near future. You know, we can think about it historically, how different groups in our past, in our history, have also been oppressors or ones who are oppressed. You know, the audience of Ecclesiastes, the Israelites, they were not uh, ignorant to the idea of being a people who have gone through periods of oppression. If we look at the history of the Israelite people, it seems like there's period of oppression after period of, of oppression after period of oppression. You know, you might remember there they were slaves in Egypt at one point. You know, after Ecclesiastes was written, they were they were uh, dispersed by the Assyrians. Then they were exiled by the Babylonians. Then they were controlled and ruled and taxed by the Romans in Jesus' day and age. The Israelites knew what it was felt like to be a group of people that were oppressed. But, it, but we can also think of it not just in groups, but we can think of it more on a personal level, right? That sometimes we can be stepped on uh, as individuals, that sometimes people can do that to us. And it may not be as extreme as what's going on in Afghanistan. It might not be as extreme as what happened to the Israelites. I sure hope that's not your personal experience, but sometimes it can be subtle and it can be over a long period of time and still be very, very hurtful and very, very damaging. It's kind of like, for example, uh, you know, the high school girl whose boyfriend wants her to look like the girls on a magazine. And so he just makes these little tiny criticisms about it, these little tiny suggestions of, you know, you'd be a lot prettier if you just lost like five pounds. And, and over time, those little tiny comments just start to tear they just start to tear at her soul. They start to, they start to, you know, just make her think less of herself. And, you know, she might develop an eating disorder or just struggle in life with self-image. You know, or it's like the, the mid-level manager who's wanting to climb that corporate ladder. And so they work their team like a dog. The people under them, um, they make them work extra hours, but they don't work extra hours. Uh, and then when the, their, their superiors praise the team for a report, they're happy to take all the personal credit, uh, you know, wanting to just, just those little things, those little ways that we as human beings can, can subtly uh, step on each other. It's like, getting, it's like having your hands on that rung of lad, on the ladder and having a person just catch uh, your pinky over and over and over again with their foot. It wears on us. It, it beats us down. And it takes its toll on us. And so what drives us as human beings uh, to do these sorts of things and to treat each other these kinds of ways? And the teacher tells us in verse four, he tells us that it's driven by our envy for others, our envy for others. And I saw all the toil and all the achievement that spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You know, envy is this sneaky little culprit. It's this sneaky little culprit. When we see a person who's maybe just a little further up the ladder in life, there's this temptation to want to be where they're at. There's this temptation to want to get there as fast and as quick as possible. And oftentimes, the fastest, shortest way is to step on people as we go over them. Uh, and so we experience this sometimes. Uh, and the first, so, so if we think of this as kind of like the first way to climb the ladder by stepping on people, then this, the second way is really the opposite extreme. It's the opposite extreme. It's, what's, it's what the teacher talks about in this passage as is, is being like idle 
laziness. Idle laziness. In verse 5, he says this, The fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. The fool folds their hands and ruins themselves. Instead of climbing the ladder and not caring who you step on, you know, others just don't climb it at all. Or they just give up. Or maybe they failed a little bit and so they just decide, it's just too hard, I'm just not even going to try anymore. And so they just fold their hands and stand at the bottom of the ladder. It's interesting, of all people, Arnold Schwarzenegger said something very similar to this. And I'm not going to try to do an Arnold voice because I know that would go terribly bad. But he said this, just remember, you can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in your pockets. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in your pockets. You have to take them out and you have to use them to go up that ladder. So whether that's a feeling of defeat, whether that's a, 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 an experience of laziness or idleness, some of us just don't climb the ladder at all. And what's the result, he says? The teacher says it, they, that person ruins themselves. They ruin themselves. But in the Hebrew, the actual specific phrase, it says not ruin themselves, but it actually says that they eat their own flesh. And that's pretty grotesque. It's not meant to be taken literally. He's not saying that they actually eat their own flesh. What it means is it's, there's a self-destructive result of the person who just folds their hands and doesn't try. There's a self-destructive uh, behavior or end result. You know, the person who's idle, the person who's lazy, they don't so much step on and hurt other people around them. They actually hurt themselves. And I don't know if you've noticed this in life, but I've kind of made this observation that both extremes, either the person who's doing the climbing and stepping on people as they go, not caring about that, uh, or the person who's just kind of put their hands in their pockets, Uh, and isn't even attempting it. Both extremes, in the end, end up pretty much alone. That they often end up being the people who feel the most and experience the most loneliness. You know, think about it. People don't want to be around the fool for very long. People don't want to spend time around the fool for very long. The person who doesn't take wise counsel, the person who, who doesn't try, the person who seems to be making poor, self-destructive choices. We, want to dist- we, off- we naturally tend to distance ourselves from people like that. And people sure, is- sure don't want to be around you know, the person who's climbing over everybody, who's oppressing people, who's stepping on people uh, out of- for their own selfish gain. People don't want to be around those kinds of people either for very often. So what we often find is that the person at the top rung and the person standing at the bottom rung with their hands folded often tend to be some of the loneliest people there are. And the teacher gives us an example of that, verse 7 and 8. He says this, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. And yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he finally asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable, miserable business. Here we see the classic example of the guy who puts all of his life into work, right? He works and works and works and he's just trying to accumulate wealth and there's no amount of wealth that's enough and he has no time for family, he has no time for friends, he has no time for spouse or kids and he gets to the end of it all and he realizes like, 
what am I doing this for? Whom am I toiling for? I have no one to share this with. I have climbed to the top and the top of the ladder and here I am all by myself. What was the point, right? I'm all alone. How sad is that? How sad is that? Thankfully, though, the teacher, the teacher starts to give us the solution. He starts to give us the answer in verse six. He says this. It's, 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 it's the idea of living somewhere in this beautiful place in the middle, of climbing the ladder and being content with being somewhere in the middle. It says this, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. The teacher has said, hey, two folded hands, that's foolish. That's, you're going to ruin yourself if you do that. But if you go after two handfuls, two handfuls, that, that means you probably just climbed and stepped on a bunch of people to get those two handfuls. What if, what if somewhere in the middle is the place where we actually all really want to be? Somewhere where we have one hand full, that that would be enough. That that would be enough. But now we would have our other hand free, free to reach down and lift up our brother or sister who might be struggling on the rung right below us. To actually lift them up instead of step on them. Right? What if that's the place, that place somewhere in the middle that God wants us all to be? The teacher says that that's the place of tranquility. That that's the place of rest. That that's the place where we will find peace in our lives. Where we are content with one handful and we have another hand free to help up our brothers and sisters. What if, what if life is meant to not try to be the first one to get to the top? What if that's not the, the way we should climb the ladder? What if, what if folding our hands and quitting before we've even started or, or just staring at the ladder isn't the way? What if the, there's a third way of doing it. What if there's a third way? He goes on in verse 9 to talk about this third way. He says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how will one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves a cord of three strands is not quickly broken you know this passage right here is one of the most famous passages in ecclesiastes it's one of the ones that's very common commonly quoted and it's often used in weddings i know sarah and myself and during our wedding we had this this passage read uh now that i officiate weddings as part of my role as a pastor uh, it's one that I use a lot and find that's v- become very common. But really, in this context, uh, the teacher isn't talking specifically about husbands and wives. He's not talking about marriage. He's just talking about humanity. He's just talking about how, how we should treat everybody and how we should handle all of our relationships. That, that it's better when, when we're doing it together. That when we're doing life together, that we'll get a better return for our work and for our labor, when we're not trying to compete with the other person, but we're working cooperatively with the other person, right? Or we're not just standing there folding our hands and assuming the other person's going to do all our work for us, right? The best return is when two are working 
together. He says when life happens, when, when havel happens, when, when things knock you down, isn't it easier to get up when you have somebody there to reach their hand down and lift you up the next rung of the ladder? He says in verse 11 that when you're cold, when you're cold, it's better to have someone there to keep you warm. You know, and this, again, isn't specifically talking about husbands and wives. It's not like the weather's just gotten colder outside, you know, and Sarah's like saying, hey, can you snuggle up against me at night because my toes are ice? He's actually not talking about this. This this passage is actually talking about like two travelers, two travelers on the side of the road. They might be complete strangers, but, but at night they'll put their backs up against each other to keep each, other's warm, each other warm, just to survive the night. He's talking about how two are better than one. Life is meant to be lived in community. It's meant to be lived caring for each other. We find peace. We find joy. We find what life is really meant to be with when we, we aren't trying to climb over people and we aren't giving up before we even start. Life is found when we attempt to do life together with one hand filled and one hand to reach and lift up our brothers and our sisters. Now, lastly, if we look at this very last verse in Ecclesiastes 4.12, it's very interesting. You know, the teacher all along has been talking about twos. Twos, right? The tale of two ladders I was talking about. You know, it's the, the ladder of the oppressed and the oppressor, right? Or we talk about, you know, you could think of it as climbing it with ambition, stepping on people, or not folding your hands and not even giving up. Two ways. Or we talk about how two are better than one. Two get a better return. Two keep each other warm. But all of a sudden, the teacher uses the number three. He says that three, a cord of three strands in verse 12 is not quickly broken. I mentioned that I often will use this passage in weddings. And it's become maybe a little bit more popular lately or common. Where sometimes the couple getting married will actually, as a symbol of their marriage, they'll actually have three ropes, three ropes uh, during the ceremony where they will braid them together and intertwine them together as a, as a symbol of their intertwining their lives to each other, that they're stronger together than they are separate. And whenever that happens, I always make a point to talk about how that third cord, you know, if the husband is one cord and the wife is one cord, that that third cord needs to be Jesus. That's an invitation to invite Jesus into that relationship. And that, that's not just true about marriages. It's true about all relationships. That we, when we invite Jesus into all of our friendships, that they're much, much stronger than they are without him. That we are stronger and not easily broken. And this is the call of the Christian. This is the call. This is the way we're invited to do the Christian life. This is the call of the church. That we would be people who intertwine our lives together, not, with the, not only with each other, but with Jesus, with God. And it's there that we would do the, go through the ladder of life together. Jesus put it this way. He put it this way in John 13, 34, 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Life, it's not meant to be done alone. It's not meant to be done, uh, missed out on by just folding our hands and standing at the bottom. It's not meant to be done climbing over people and stepping on people just to get to the top 
the fastest. The wisdom of the teacher, uh, the wisdom of Jesus, is that we are meant to do life together, to love one another, and to help each other up the ladder as we go. Uh, That's how we, and that's how everyone will know that we are Jesus' followers, by how we love one another and care for each other like that. So let me just end with this. Let me end with this question to encourage you to think about. How's your climbing been lately? How have you been doing climbing lately? You know, this week, as you think about your week over this past week, or the past couple of weeks, how have you been doing? Is there any point or any time you could look back and you realize like, oh, I think I kind of stepped on that person a little bit. Oftentimes it's the people closest to us that we step on the most. If I'm honest, I have not done a great job of that this week. Ironically, as I was prepping this talk, you know, as, as we were realizing like, hey, we're going to have to kind of shorten the timetable. I'm going to have to record this talk earlier. I'm going to have less time to prep. And we're trying to deal with my son being sick and, and all of that, manage all that. I basically locked my, myself in my bedroom one day and I just didn't come out because I just, I just wanted this talk to be perfect. And I knew I was just so crunched for time. I just wanted it to be perfect. And, and really outside my bedroom door, my son is sick and struggling with isolating. My other two kids are struggling with schoolwork and needing help and, and dealing with, with processing being away from their friends for, for a while. My wife is trying to work from home, uh, make dinner, disinfect everything. And she knocked on the door at one point and, and looked frazzled and just said to me, hey, if you could get to a stopping point for like 15 minutes, if you could just give me help for like 15 minutes, that would mean so much. And you know what? I never did. I never stopped. I just kept going. I was so driven to make this talk perfect that I just, I, I, I unintentionally basically stepped on those who I loved the most. And so I woke up the next morning and I realized it was like this aha moment. Oh my gosh, I've just done what I'm talking about, what we shouldn't do. And I went to my wife and I just said, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And I said, hey, you know what? This talk, it's good enough. You get what you get, you guys. It's good enough. And I just spent the next few hours helping my kids with schoolwork and helping with things around the house and trying to just help lift them back up where I've climbed over them a little bit uh, and stepped on them a little bit to go back down a rung and help lift them up the next rung of the lives. Have you, have you done that lately? Is there any area where you might need to repent of and to go ask forgiveness of? You know, maybe you weren't doing the one stepping on uh, other people, but maybe you were the person who got stepped on and you're feeling hurt and you're feeling wounded. Like Jesus wants to come near to you today. He wants to begin to heal you. He wants to lift you up. He wants to help you up that next rung. Um, maybe if you're honest, you've, you've folded your hands a little bit lately. Maybe you've grown lazy. Maybe you've grown idle. Maybe you've just, you've failed at something. You just, you just don't want to take that that risk again, feeling like you're going to fail again. It's just easier to stay at the bottom. Jesus is inviting you to, to come, come up the ladder with him, to, to, give it an, to give life another try, to get back up again and, and to try that again. Maybe you're here today and you're just really lonely. You're really lonely or you feel really unseen. Jesus wants to be alongside you. The church, we want to be alongside you. Uh, today. So wherever you're at, wherever you're at, let, let us be reminded, let us be encouraged 
that what the teacher and what Jesus is trying to show us in this passage here is that life is meant to be lived with others. We're meant to do it together. The goal should not be to try to get even to the top of the ladder. It's meant to do it together. That's the job of us as disciples. That's the job of the church. So as we go into worship here, uh, as we pray, as you all pray for each other, let's do it together. Let's worship and sing praises to God together. Let's, let's pray for those and lift those up who are in need up together today. Amen. I'm going to assume you all just said amen, right? So, uh, hey, uh, thanks for letting me share with you. Bless you guys. Miss you. Hope to be with you soon. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. Well, bless you. Have a wonderful week.